This is implausible engineering. I Seriously? really don't think so. That's no this is work. not logical. No. It's not true. No. It's impossible. No. That's you just cannot be serious. Episode 1. How to live longer and talk to aliens. Well, that's just p- it. Implausible engineering. The relativity vault. So, we're all going to die. But let's say you're going to die from some incurable disease, or even just from ageing, and you've got some time to plan ahead. One option is to assume that future medical science could save you. A common strategy to access this option is to get yourself frozen, or even just get your head frozen, until medical science can find a cure for whatever ails you. However, freezing yourself, or freezing your brain, isn't that great an option, since the act of freezing, where all the liquid water in your body expands and crystallises, would irreversibly rupture the cellular integrity of your body and your brain before the clock even starts ticking. So all that future medical science could do would be to thaw you out into an organic mush. But there is an alternative, and it's one that suits the context of a space science podcast. Rather than freezing yourself, why not take advantage of relativistic time dilation? You could just pack up your still-living self into a spacecraft that's able to move at over 99% of the speed of light, with onboard life support systems to keep you going for a few years, after which time thousands of years may have passed back on Earth. So your intact body and brain can be safely delivered into the hands of future medical science, hopefully to be fully repaired, if not improved. However, there are a number of substantial technological hurdles to overcome first. For the sake of brevity, let's just wave a magic wand to create the spacecraft, propulsion system and fuel source to enable you to achieve and sustain more than 99% of the speed of light. Your life support system will need to keep you going for a few years on board, since you'll need time to accelerate up and then decelerate back down without the acceleration turning your body and brain into organic mush. This much is achievable on paper, since at just 1g of acceleration, you should be approaching light speed in just over a year, and at 3g, which should still be tolerable, you could do it in a bit under four months. A bigger problem is colliding with dust grains and other objects at those kind of speeds, which could not only damage the ship, but produce shock forces which might well exceed 1 or 3G, which could not only turn you mushy, but also those impacts are going to slow the spacecraft down. Indeed, they may well prevent it from ever being able to reach time dilation speeds. So, a time dilation machine might better involve a capsule that's spun on an arm or a tether within a large evacuated chamber. Again, it's best to just wave a magic wand to create the extraordinary technology required to spin something at those speeds. And of course, you'd need some extraordinary lubrication and cooling systems operating at the axle of that spinning structure. But apart from the technology, the biggest problem of all is how you keep all this going and get the help you'll need at the other end. 
For example, do you just set a timer that will put you a thousand years ahead when the machine slows down? Or is it better to have an automated system that responds to a signal from the outside world that they now have the technology to cure you? And either way, what kind of guarantee do you have that anyone at the other end is really going to give a f If you are stupendously rich, and the only person to have ever done anything like this, then there might be a certain interest factor for that future civilization. But if hundreds of people have done the same thing, a future civilization may find itself wondering whether it should put its energy into bringing up its own children, rather than looking after a bunch of anachronistic and primitively educated who couldn't accept that their time was up. So to make this part of it work, yes, you probably would have to be stupendously wealthy, with some kind of resource or stock that retains its value over thousands of years, and you'll probably need generations of descendants who are motivated enough to keep the whole thing going, or otherwise perhaps you hold some secret that no one else knows about, with an understanding that your revival back to good health is the only way to get that secret, so any future civilization is as interested as you are in your recovery. So, there you go folks, some implausible engineering. The physics of it sounds plausible, the engineering of it probably isn't, though maybe you could make the diameter of rotation utterly huge, so the spin at the axle wasn't so intense, although then the evacuated chamber that you spin your capsule in would also have to be huge. And even then, as we've discussed, the biggest problems about making all this happen is what they always are. People, money, and motive. Hello, Steve. Oh, hi, Bridget. You are bringing me in to do another podcast series. Just making the opportunity available, Bridget. The listeners keep saying they want to hear more from you. I'm very pleased to know that. But doesn't it also say something about you? What, that I have to bring you in to fill a gap between two already released podcasts so that it looks like a new product? Hmm. Okay, you're right. That does say something about me. Well, that's true. But Steve, you were using a text-to-speech engine to reflect on your own insecurities about your low ratings. You're worried that you just keep on doing your podcasts the same way, regardless of the static audience growth. Well, I hope it's static. I think it might have gone down a bit. But that could just be about aggregator reach. You are avoiding the issue, Steve. What, that I'm insecure? Okay, I'm insecure. A lot of people are. Yes, I know. Steve, there is some security in being able to create an idealized dialogue between two people, where you, the insecure person, have your behavior justified by the other speaker. And all along it's just a made-up dialogue. Yes. Well, crap. That just makes me sound like an asshole. I didn't say that, Steve. Wow. Is this how our dialogues are going to run through the entire Implausible Engineering series? That's entirely up to you. Well, at least we didn't go on about me needing more Patreon supporters. Yes, you should always be asking more people to be Patreon supporters. You should ask them in every episode, Steve. Yeah, right. Implausible Engineering – The Welcome Note One solution to Fermi's paradox about why there's a universe of potentially habitable worlds out there but no one's talking is that we are the first.
or at least one of the first, technology-exploiting species. So the point of today's episode of Implausible Engineering is to pose the question of what, if any, responsibilities we may choose to exercise as one of the first emerging technological species in the galaxy or indeed the universe. So, should we put out an information broadcast telling others how to advance? Something like Douglas Adams, the secret is to bang the rocks together, guys, or maybe broadcast some fantastic physics formulas. Trouble is, a broadcast that radiates out spherically from its origin will cover the greatest area, but will also rapidly attenuate in accordance with the inverse square law. So in fact, you are better off beaming a signal in a straight line. But, in the absence of knowing where anyone is, all you can do is point your signal at a few likely candidate regions and hope for the best. Our attempts, to date, have been pretty lacklustre. For example, Frank Drake's Arecibo message and a Beatles song sent from the Deep Space Network. Both really technology demonstrations to impress other humans rather than serious attempts to communicate with aliens. The Arecibo message contained an inordinate amount of content describing a generic DNA molecule as well as the general form of a human being. While this does make more sense than a Beatles song, it still seems a bit self-indulgent, as do the Pioneer and Voyager Messages in a Bottle the former being a plaque with a waving Caucasian naked couple on it, the latter being a golden record containing images, music and songs by humans and also whales. What both the Pioneer and Voyager messages do have, which might be genuinely useful information for the aliens, is a pulsar map. The idea was that pulsars have distinctive pulse timings, So, by sending out a layout of distinctive pulsars and their relative distances from Earth, an alien should be able to figure out where Earth is. At least, that's what everyone thought back in the 70s when these spacecraft were launched. We'd only just discovered pulsars about 10 years earlier, thanks to Jocelyn Bell Burnell, but today we know that pulsar rates can actually vary quite a lot over time. And we also know that we can only detect pulsars when they are beaming one of their polar jets in our direction. So, if you're an alien, and they're not beaming in your direction, you won't even know they're a pulsar. They'll just look like a plain old neutron star, which is, after all, what pulsars are. So, where we are going with all this is that putting out a message to the aliens isn't as easy as it sounds. There's two problems to deal with, one being how to send the message, the other being what to put in it. A readily detectable message could be established by stellar-level engineering. After all, stars are visible from all directions for thousands of light-years, so you could, for example, shadow one with giant screens that were distributed in some kind of Dyson swarm, which would then produce a beacon that essentially said, "Hey." Look over here. The on and off flashes produced by the giant orbiting screens could deliver a small amount of data using something like Morse code that provided spatial coordinates for the aliens to focus in on. 
Then, at that focus point, you would place an electromagnetic transmitter. Since electromagnetic radiation has a huge amount of information carrying capacity, but having that information coming from a point source means it could be easily missed if you don't know exactly where to look. Whatever information you decide to send, you first need to consider that different aliens will tune in at different times, so you really need a repeating message with some translation tips at the start, so that if someone tunes in halfway through, the message will loop back to the start before too long. As to the actual contents of the message, well, if the aliens are like us, they may genuinely want to know what we look like and how we spend our days, but more pragmatic aliens are probably looking for more pragmatic information and what they may most welcome would be a map of our observable universe. Not so much to know where we are, as to know which parts of the universe we can see that they can't. They might also welcome some practical engineering and chemistry tips. I mean, imagine how getting aliens' advice on building an efficient fusion energy generator might transform our lives. The question then is why we, or any aliens, might put the not inconsiderable effort into establishing such a broadcast. After all, the chances of that broadcast becoming a two-way conversation are minimal, given that we are likely to be tens or hundreds of light-years apart, so there is little immediate benefit for the sender beyond hoping you might be paying it forward. That is, if we assume benevolence is a universal feature of all technological species, we'd undertake such a selfless effort with the expectation that we'll receive someone else's message before too long. But, given our own example, maybe universal benevolence isn't something we can hold out a lot of hope for. That was Implausible Engineering, a cheap astronomy production. And look, you don't really have to become a Patreon supporter. Steve, for heaven's sake.